realized making this a career, there's there's one Drake for 10,000 non-Drakes. Yeah. So it's very hard. Whereas you can be the 10,000th best dentist and you can still make bank. Yeah, so, still make a lot of money. So then it was kind of forced that I was like, I'm never going to work in engineering, which is what I studied, lecture engineering, computer science. And I was like, well, I'm going to um, do something that I can get my financial side sorted. And engineering gave me enough runway to get my business stuff sorted. Not that it was easy, but yeah. it ended up happening. And then, um, then kind of went from there, man. Yeah. And pursuing, there's always that creative itch that I need to do some stupid shit. Fair enough. Well, been a bit rude, but I'll introduce the guest now, Jasky Singh. Um, I think it's podcast number fourteen. So yeah, welcome. Thanks um, for having me, man. That's all right. So you're the owner of K Two Visual. K Two Audio Visual. K Two yes. Audio Visual. Yep. Um, and you also run a portfolio in Perth, um, and that's your that's kind of like what you do. But on the side, you do TikTok, you do stand up comedy, um, you know, you do podcasting now, and yeah. So we're really really happy to have you on. No, my pleasure, man. Thanks for reaching out. It's um, yeah, it's good, to, good to be on. Speak to us about um, engineering, and did you always just wanna like never do it? So you did the degree. You say you do it for your parents but you always knew that you need, you had this creative itch that you talk about that you wanted to scratch. Yeah, yeah, uh, spot on. So I, at the time, I, like I just said, I wanted to do music and that was my passion. I really wanted to get into, we had like a little record label. It was, it was hip hop fusion with a bit right. of like, again, this is what I look back and I go, the timing was spot on. We just didn't double down in the right way because I didn't have the business knowledge sometimes as a creative if you have the business knowledge to merge with the creative it the it's exponential growth you can see yeah. opportunities better because you've got both sides of um of the coin to be able to figure out how to do it better so you almost seemed like a manager who had been in the space for a, lo a lot longer than you had yeah just to do it properly like we yeah. just didn't do things it's hard to explain but like just not um having the right output not making music for the right niche like for example this podcast in your head if you know this is my niche you can target the content you can get the guests you can get your questions to target that niche but you only realize that well i realize it through business because if you know your niche very well you can create a product or a service for that niche that they that that you know uh targets that market very the target market fit is perfect but when i was doing music i didn't know any of that so yeah. I was just doing it. I'm like, oh, this sounds dope. I love rapping. I'm just going to make it sound better and better. Not knowing that doing fusion and trying to have an American accent as a hip hop artist in Australia is just fucking weird. It didn't work. Yeah. But I mean, not for the lack of effort. I tried, gave it, you know, I used to get up at 4 a.m., make phone calls to A&R oh. labels every morning to, at one point I was speaking to Birdman. I don't know if you remember that, yeah. um, you know, Cash Money Records. He was um, very, very big player at the time he's made a bit of a resurgence actually it's on the weekend album birdman yeah there's like a little snippet of him saying i am birdman but yeah. yeah yeah he was huge at the time and he used to he even i think drake was signed to him i know i can't remember it's been that longer but i think drake was on the same label um so uh alicia keys a and r um representative was speaking to us about a single and all that like there was there was things that kept me going but at some point i was like the the likelihood of this succeeding would have been better had I had the business knowledge, mm -hmm. which I didn't have. But that's not what I learned. I just said, I just need to make money because I can't just keep doing random shit without setting up my life because I was, you know, as a, again, in a migrant family, they're like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? Like, you've got an engineering degree. 
um, you can make you know 70 80 uh, K without having to really do anything just walk into a firm the, the jobs were in in um, in high demand you could walk yeah. in and get a job and, and I did I didn't even try to apply I just got the first job I did um, so yeah I, I forced to kind of look at it more from a financial perspective as, as opposed to the creative side and then that's how business started and K to audiovisual was the first business Wow first business that made money okay so a lot of trial and error um, do you still experience trial and error today like starting new ventures um, I know you had Sara which is a Indonesian bar yep. that you let go Malaysian. of recently a oh, Malaysian bar yep. sorry um, yeah talk to us about trial and error every day um, I think the thing that I the motto or kind of vision I live by is to m- be comfortable with discomfort mm-hmm. and and I think every time I feel fear or discomfort or like some sort of um, anxiety towards doing something I gravitate towards trying to do it and that's how the whole street interview thing um, that people may know me from TikTok where I do my street interviews as a as a hobby um, with yeah. my videographer Tim um, we it became out of a thing like I'm scared of doing this why am I scared of this thing and so you started because you were scared kind you, of you, like you I just took the leap no it was more that we're just like man this would be a funny thing to do yeah and um, being comedians we always look to do something stupid and funny because that's just mm-hmm. what we love to do is it's just an idiotic mindset yeah. but it was like I'm scared of this and I don't like being scared of something I don't know why as soon as I'm scared of something I need to I need to just do it because like, if like I don't conquer do it, it almost it's kind of like my my brain will keep torturing me until I do the thing so whatever scares yeah. me if it's like cold showers I'll be like ah oh, it's so uncomfortable I don't like it it's not it's not fear but it's just like huge discomfort it's almost like an OCD kind of like yeah like I mean I wouldn't want to get to that OCD it. is kind of like pretty like a serious condition i'm not yeah, OCD in yeah. any way but it's just that i just think if i don't do the thing it just my brain will tell me you're a bitch and it gets yeah. worse and worse and worse until i go all right i need to fucking conquer this thing so i, I just try and always anything that makes me uncomfortable um which to my detriment has made me do a lot of stupid stuff which has wasted a lot of time so i have to rein it back and go is this really productive or is it just just yeah. me trying to like make myself feel better that I, i've been able to do it but a lot of the stuff that I've done, cold calling, um, uh, stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy became only an interest because while my wife was busy studying and in the evening she was just like, I don't, I don't want to see you, I don't want to talk to you, I'm busy. So I was like, well, the one thing that's always scared me, and I don't know why, I was like, I've done plenty of public speaking, I'm comfortable yeah. talking, it's not never been a problem. Stand-up comedy was one thing I was like, that just to walk out on stage because it's have, different isn't it like in if you're doing public speaking you can say some random shit and people might not like it but you won't know that you know they can mask it but with stand-up comedy you're getting that live kind of like i suppose emotion and reaction straight away well, well public speaking i've done so much public speaking that even the most average two out of ten joke people go oh he's hilarious and they'll start like yeah. clapping and it's the shittest joke right whereas stand-up comedy you've got 100 150 200 thousands of people depending on how much in the how many people in yeah, the audience judging you you've just got one microphone you've got to walk up and now you've got to say some stuff that's going to have an involuntary reaction and that needs to be good because their baseline is coming in to laugh mm-hmm. in public speaking i could just come out and give you information they're not they're not there to laugh if you make them laugh now you've done something amazing so that is that was scary like i'm going out there and i've got to just use my words to make people have a reaction that they're not in control of 
and it's almost harder than just doing like it through a screen because we talked about this with the MacPack podcast, right? You could do a, a joke, a routine on a TV show or like on YouTube or something and maybe everyone in my house will laugh but like the next door neighbours won't laugh. But in stand-up comedy, everyone has to laugh and you're, they're almost like looking at each other like, oh, do you think that was funny? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Let's both laugh. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to like make it funny and it needs to be funny to the point where everyone that's there doesn't mind laughing at it. Correct, yeah. Because yeah. they're like, you know, they're not scared of being judged for laughing. Yeah, well, that, that comes down to the um, organisers. Like uh, we've done some some gigs where you're out in the open. Um, we've done we've done a... I got booked on Marketplace when the pandemic just ended and my videographer and I, who's in the room, we went and did this gig because I call him up anytime we have a ridiculous gig and I'm like, are you up for this one? So we went into this random alleyway there was literally like six boys who were having a birthday party bright as hell and where we've got to like do i don't know four or five minutes each and make them laugh those are the ones that develop thick skin those are the ones where you are about to walk up and go i feel that nervousness i feel this this fear and then once you've done that then it's like so now when i sit back and do like a you know like an analysis or or like a, a a kind of like a dissection of what's inside my brain that I'm scared of, there really isn't that many things. Like there's a stuff that like, you know, being deep underwater or something is really still bothers me. But otherwise, many things that like over, you know, the the three decades plus that I've been alive, I've just kind of always gone, just find the thing you're uncomfortable with. There's a reason why you're uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, there is a reason that like, you're not going to put your hand in a fucking alligator's mouth, right? There's a reason why that's uncomfortable. Don't do that shit. Yeah. But I suppose there's a sense to that. Sometimes you can be uncomfortable with something and you don't know why you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're, you're going for that. Yeah, more of the, the psychological discomforts, yeah. not the physical. Like there are obviously stuff like I used to do a lot of um, intense workouts and sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to do these like competitive workouts because you know you're going to get blasted and then I'm just like, I don't want to do it. Like it, it's not that I, if I put my mind to it, I do it, but it's not productive. I don't really need to be yeah. at that level of, I'm not an athlete. But the, the psychological ones, I'm always like, there's a reason. Why am I scared of this thing? Try and do it. Right. That's what got me into stand-up. That, so I'm yeah. answering a question. That's what got me into a lot of these... these um, uh, Hobbies, I suppose you could say. Outlandish ventures. Yeah, trial yeah. and error. So yeah, everyone's probably most knows you from your TikTok account. Um, doing street interviews how did you get into that and what was the inspiration for like just like you know going on the street I know you said it was it scared you um how did you when did you realize that you could actually start doing it like pretty often (laughs) so what how did we get into it I think we got into it by just wanting to look at different ideas of making comedy and we've we tried a number of things we've done I've done so much online content just just for the to to um, satisfy that creative urge. Like there's a, there's a business side that's mostly logical, analytic. There is a creative aspect to it and it's become more creative with social media as a marketing tool. But then there's always that other facet where I was like, I just always need to do something creative. It helps my business, getting mm-hmm. the creative outlet somewhere. So that is the, the basis of it. I was like, well, I think we're just walking through the city one day and I was just like, man, there is some interesting people here yeah. and I just want to go and talk to them. And at the time I was watching the, the way content was moving and I and this is a thing that I've really tried to double down on is every time there's been like a trend, I haven't gone 100% on it. I've, like podcasting 
before we got on on the mic, we were talking about a podcast that we started for our business many years ago. I knew the timing was right for a podcast. Mm-hmm. I did the podcast in an industry being education because we supply uh, for the audiovisual business, supply to education, uh, education solutions. And I knew the podcast would be an epic marketing tool. I didn't double down on it. And if I did at that time, it would have been like a big uh, venture on its own or it would be a good marketing tool like I wanted it to be. There's many instances of that, email marketing. There was many times that I was like, I just didn't go 100%. Full tilt. Because yeah. I was like, ah, it seems like a fleeting thing. This time I was seeing content because I was doing some TikTok stuff just just for fun. And I was like, I'm seeing this like interview, like street stuff that that people are doing. They're not very good at it. I'm watching it. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm good at it, but it scares me to do it. Mm-hmm. And again, so that was like, that's a tick. It scares me. I want to do it. And then seeing people in this the Murray Street Mall, I'm like, there are some real, some crazy people, some real yeah. interesting people, but nothing like judgmental. Like they're not, they're just people. It's just I'm, different, right? I'm like, they look different to what you've been there's, there's surrounded something. with. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for stand up comedy, the, uh, just for your audience. So then they're probably not familiar unless they've done stand up. is it takes years and years to build up minutes of material. Mm-hmm. So when you start comedy, I did it probably three years obsessively and I probably only had 25 minutes of material. Yeah, because you start like this and you have to refine it to this. Yeah, you write a whole page of stuff, maybe one line works or two lines work and then a lot of the times they don't work. So anyway, you're building like incrementally, like one stone on top of another, like building a house and eventually years and years you get a few minutes. So using that as a marketing tool seems like a pretty stupid thing to do. You get... Takes too much time. Yeah, you spend so much time and that's essentially, if you want to do stand-up comedy to earn money, those few minutes are your ticket to income. Because people come to see you, you've got five sharp minutes. Those five sharp minutes could get you $10,000 because you might perform that over several years or several different shows or have your own show, whatever it is. So when people put out comedy material to, to use as a lead generation to get people to watch them do stand-up, they'll put out crowd work. Crowd work, if you're not mm-hmm. familiar, is when yep. you're on stage... You talk to Milhan and go, hey, man, oh, if you're an Indian guy like me, tell me something. You say some shit, have some banter. It's funny. On the spot. On the spot. Yeah. A lot of it can be pre-scripted, but it makes it look like it's not. Some people are very good at it, like the Andrew Schultz of the world. Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, he's He's, ama- he's a master, yeah, yeah. He's amazing at it. Um, there's many people that are very good now. And that was the thing. That was the lead generation. You put out crowd work, and then now people know who you are, and you're not burning your material you've spent years and years working mm-hmm. on. So I kind of thought, well, I'm seeing this street shit being getting a lot of views. I know it's like crowd work, essentially. Basically, yeah. But it's like, it's, and I, what I found really difficult is to get enough gigs because I, when I want to do something, I just want to do it obsessively. Whereas um, getting two, three, four spots a week, meaning four spaces you can perform in a week was kind of an upper limit in Perth. Yeah, so you relied on other people to get you gigs, but now you're making your own gig, basically. So then I was like, well, I'll just walk the streets and that's and I don't need an audience. There's the yeah. audience right there. I'll give it a try. I'll do some crowd work and then we'll repurpose it as content, see if it's interesting. So we did week one and I ate 100 bags of dicks. Like it was the worst. I, at the end of it, both um, Tim and I sat down. We were just having a drink and I was like, I was we're on a balcony. I was thinking of jumping off the balcony. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we're like, look, we'll do it once again. Um, you know, you never stop anything at round one. You, yeah, you, you give, it, give it some tries. And I was like, well, <laughs> we'll come back next week and we'll try it again. And um, 
I think it was next week. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was next week. And we came back again next week. And next week we had a banger week. Like we had four or five bits of content in one week that I was like, this is amazing. Like I couldn't have done a stand-up gig mm. and done crowd work where I would have got... Yeah, you, you couldn't even have scripted it really, right? It was yeah. like a rap battle. There was a guy that was talking about a drug where it's going to open up his mind and give him endless possibilities. Limitless. There was some <laughs> insane people in one week and I was like, maybe I can do it. But th that's, that's what I always see in any venture. If you get that spike early on, it gives you enough confidence, you can keep going. Mm -hmm. All that happened was, it was a fluke. I just got really good people that one week. It could have been me, it could have been you, it could have been fucking Dave from down the road. That would have been an amazing week. But it gave me the confidence to think that I can do it. So I did it a few more weeks and the next few weeks were still tough. They weren't good. I came in with questions and tried to... We got bits and pieces, right? But you stayed consistent. But, but that one, no, no, that one week kept me going. And I was yeah. like, well, I think I can do it. And we had tons of views off that one week. So I was like, oh, this is working. Um, but then by just doing it, you get better, right? And then I really took some time into learning of how do I get better at this? And then um, slowly and steadily, it again became this obsession of how do I improve in this yeah. weird form of comedy. And you guys are still doing this. You can catch you out in the streets weekly. Uh, mostly we try and go out once a week. Uh, sometimes it doesn't happen once a week. Sometimes we punch out a couple of weeks. Sometimes yeah. we try and... So now we're going to be, for the first time, flying outside of Perth to Brisbane. Cool. Um, we're going to be doing a three-day stint there. So it's going to be a batch of recording. I think you get some good good content yeah, there yeah, yeah, outside yeah. the clubs and whatnot. Yeah, Maybe so if you go at night time. I don't know. It's up to you, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll do... Um, we'll try and do some night time. We'll try and get to Gold Coast, um, Sunshine Coast. But... We, tr we try and batch as much as we can, um, punch it out and, uh, and then, you know, figure out, um, yeah. make the hit ratio higher. Whereas initially I would speak to, people always ask this question, so it might be interesting for people to uh, know is how many people do you talk to before one makes it? So what it used to be is I'd probably approach 20 people, um, 15 of them would say no. So only five will talk to me. And then I'll talk to five of them, maybe one would be interesting. So the hit ratio was probably like 5% that would possibly make it on the mm -hmm. channel. Now that's getting more and more where now I'm probably only talking in an hour to 10 people, but maybe four of them are actually making it right. or five of them or sometimes one week I've talked to 10 people, eight of them make it because as you get better, you get better at selecting, you selecting, get better yep. at opening the conversations, you get better at relaxing You and I've had to yeah. learn improv, you get better at improvisation and and a lot of those techniques with anything like even with podcasting there's certain things you can do that makes you better at it and mm -hmm. then your hit ratio with the outcomes of that podcast become better yeah because nigerian king he told us that he speaks to 150 people every time he goes out so they're out for like you know three or four hours at night time but the thing is um not all of it made it because it wasn't engaging enough. People were happy to talk to him because they were young people and they were on a night out, so obviously they're under the influence slightly or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they were more receptive, like, you know, like hardly any knows. But in terms of what's actually interesting, he said, yeah, only like, you know, four or five groups of people would make it out of, you know, potentially like... 150 people. 150 people, so maybe like 30 groups or 40 groups. Crazy, yeah. Um, but the thing is they have to record everything just in case right and they yeah. got to keep it all because you never know when one part might tie into another part or you know you see someone that says no and then two hours later they come out of the club and they've had a terrible time and then they're willing to talk to you or because mm. you never know what's going to go viral correct and I, I suppose you'd see that on tiktok as well you have no clue what could go viral maybe even a video that you thought wasn't as good mm. 
does super well. Well, it, it, it does our brain in many time where we're after, after the fact, we're sitting there analyzing a video, editing it, trying to figure out parts. Um, and we've learned a lot over the, you know, probably just over a year that we've been doing it to try and figure out, okay, what actually I'll probably caveat that we think we've learned a lot. And then you, you come across a banger and both Tim and I, before we we're about to post it, we're like, this is going to crush. We are so confident. Yeah. And it just eats shit. Hopes up, yeah. It goes fucking nowhere. And then some other one, I'm like, ah, fuck, this is shit. I'll just put it out and it gets a million something views. So sometimes you, you don't know, but more often than not, I think we're getting to the point that 70, 80% of the time we do know what's good, what's interesting. Less so what's, again, I've started to understand the niche better of like, what do people want to see so, on what uh, my channel is? Yeah. Most people, not most, 99% of people don't know me, right? But the 1% that do probably know what kind of stuff they want to see. So we can we can get that right. But what about the 99%? What are they going to see? What's going to be interesting to them? Or what do I want to show them so they kind of become the... Become the 1%. Become the, the people that I want. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it is. It's, it's forever a, a puzzle that... Eventually, you don't care. It's like, the, do the views really matter? Like, you just want to mm. make the... The content for yourself, almost. Yeah, or, or what, you're, what you're proud of. Like, I'm doing... Like, yeah. the thing is, I don't, I don't... I know people do the people drunk talking to people when they're, like, you know, highly intoxicated. I don't want to do that because it, it's not what challenges me. Like, that's... If you're drunk, it's yeah. easy for me to talk to you and get some funny Absolutely. shit out. I don't, want, I don't want to do that. Not that I'm discarding what people do. I, it's, yeah. it's not easy. It's just not your thing. It's not at all my thing. I don't want it to be... Like I used to do these scripted questions like, hey, can Indian people say half the N-word? They used to be my question because mm -hmm. it triggers people. And it's, and it, but I'm like, I don't want to do that because now I'm, I'm, I'm gearing the conversation towards something and that's not going to get me the interesting part about Milhan. I'm just going to be getting some... What I think of your question. What, what, what I'm... Yeah, I'm creating a scaffolding and getting you to just follow it, right? It's almost better with no scaffolding is 100%. what you're saying. And yeah. that's harder, right? And I'm like, again, that's harder. And I want to do the harder things sometimes, not all the time. Yeah. And and that makes me get better at it by going, well, let's just see where this goes. So, yeah. What are the things that people can expect if they happen to take on-street interviewing? I know last week there was a guy that came up to you and was like, do you have a permit to, to video here, some bullshit like that? Um, what are the other things that, that can come up? And what happened with that guy in the end anyway? The one you're talking about, um, for people that probably haven't seen it, is um, I was filming outside RAC Arena when the Kendrick Lamar concert was there. Public area, we've got approvals from the city of Perth to be in a public area. Um, and then for some reason, this guy thinks that the... out Well, anyway, he might be right. I don't know. He's like, what are your credentials? Is this area outside RAC Arena public air public space? And I'm like, look, I'm pretty sure it is. He's like, it's not, so you must not film here. That was the whole thing. So I just left and went to the other side. I'm not going to cause a fuss about it. But um, in terms of what people can expect, do you mean in terms of like what what it takes to do it or yeah what it takes or just something that you encountered on your journey with it they didn't expect you would you know many things i think um the biggest thing probably is the, the look the hardest thing i think of doing the street interviews or crowd work is more often than not people are not really going to give you anything interesting in a comedy show, it's different. People know that you're trying to get to the funny. So if I speak to you, go, hey, what do you do for work? They'll say something stupid. Oh, I'm the guy that takes chewing gum from under cinema seats. They'll just say some dumb shit. Oh, I'm a prostitute. And you're like, 
okay, I, don't, I know you're not either of them, but whatever, it's funny, and then you can vibe off it. Whereas if you're doing the the street interviews, people don't know what you're doing. Like it's, you approach a random person. It's never yeah. scripted. We've never done anything that's not organic. That's mm-hmm. that's um, you know, kind of there is pre-planned stuff, but all the conversations are organic. Yeah. So they don't know. So I've got to now extract where more often than not, it's just a person having a banal, boring, general day-to-day conversation. And I'm, I'm not, there's times where I'm like, oh, I'm happy with a wholesome conversation. But 90% of the time, I want it to be funny because that's what interests me. So how do you get that to be funny? And that in itself is the biggest challenge. Any conversation, even with podcasting, how do you, if you're a, if you're a comedic podcast, how do you turn something that's going nowhere to funny? Fun. Yeah. And so I... Well, that's I mean, the I art really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, well, I, I didn't know the answer. I'm like, oh, I'm generally a funny person, but that doesn't help when you're talking to someone like, yeah, I'm a PwC, I'm an accountant. I work from nine to five and, and you're just like, fucking, where do I take this? And, or do you reject? I used to flag, uh, you know, move on to the next person. Mm-hmm. How but do you then, do that? You just say, all right, thank you for your time. That's yeah, it. I'll just go, yeah, cool, cheers, and walk off. Um, right. But then I was like, well, I didn't really, f- there's something interesting in that person, but I don't know what that is. Somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. it's, one, it's, uh, whatever that, you probably know the statistic, what is it, like 8% of communication is words and 92% is body language. There's some statistic like that. So if you can get the body language to be relaxed, and you're talking to the person immediately, if they can be relaxed and that needs to be done within two, three seconds, yeah. mirroring the way they're moving. Do you, do you shake the hand? Sometimes. Because I feel like if, if they're more open to like the handshake, uh, that's a good way for you to like precurse and see how like open they are to give you something funny or give you sometimes, their time. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes people find it weird. Like you walk up and yeah. shake someone's hand because they don't know what you're doing. They it's have true. no idea. So yeah, sometimes. If it's like a, a bro, bro, like a lad, yeah, you shake their hand, what's up? Like That's almost different. something that's going to be determined in the three seconds before that, if that makes sense. Correct. That's yeah. where you make the judgment by looking at the person. But a lot of the times that can be wrong. So you've got to like, firstly, make people feel relaxed. That is the main thing. If they're relaxed, they'll open up. Then you've got to say something about yourself or create a persona or create some archetype where you're going to be sharing, maybe self-deprecating or something a bit more vulnerable about yourself. When you op- mm-hmm. open that channel, that person goes, cool, I'm okay with now reciprocating. It's, um, you know, uh, Robert Cialdini's uh, the book on influence, which is give someone to, to give something to someone and they're more likely to reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, here, I bought you a, a, a bottle f- for you to keep. Now you're like, oh, I'm kind of indebted to this person. You can do that through words. So you yeah. can kind of give them something. Subconsciously as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a it's a powerful concept. Like people have used it in restaurants. They, you know, you sit down and you're having a meal and someone will come out, Hey, chocolates are on the house, like little, you know, chocolates. And then you go, Oh shit. Now maybe I should spend a little bit extra. Or it, tip or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a psychological thing. So giving them that something, then you're like, now I'm priming them to give me a little bit of, of something. But then I started doing, uh, so I hired some improv coaches to try and do some improv training to understand, okay, what, how do these people have a process to find the funny because that's what they need to do and very valuable like i um did several sessions with this chick in uh in in london and she's been doing improv for and that was plus. like what over zoom or you uh in london yeah, over yeah. zoom yeah and um yeah she's she was great uh name's charlie and she um would break down what i'm doing how improv pro uh 
systems can make uh, me get better to the funny better or how I can get the hit ratio to be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that was very, very useful than trying to employ it. But at the same time, listening back to conversations and going, where did I miss it? Because there's always a little, there's, there's always like a, they, they, they give you a string and you can pull that string. Sometimes you miss it and which is fine. You're not going to get, you're not you, know, you can't figure, pull every string. You can't pull every string and you don't know which yeah. string to pull. And, um, but you can't also be so aware of every second of that conversation because then you're not in the conversation. You're in your head. And so, then you won't be able to progress it because you can't think after uh, yeah, yeah. So for like, the future. So like yeah. probably what you're doing, you're not sitting there thinking of your next question. You're trying to listen to me. Mm -hmm. But then when you're listening, you're probably thinking, where do I take this next? But that yeah. comes as an intuitive thing. So anyway, the, 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 that's probably the hardest stuff. But there's so many learnings. There's, there's so much intricacy to it, which is awesome. And I love that because you can keep breaking it down. Yeah. You can keep going, well, I'm not very good at this. Like, let's break that down. There was some weird stuff I used to do on the camera. Like, I'd walk around like um, like on meth or something. Like, I'm just fucking hopping around. And people would comment. They're like, dude, what's wrong with you? But but that <laughs> lets me think. So I'm like, well, you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. That's just what I do. That's the other thing. Hey, the comments, I think, are what drives the algorithm these days. Like, the more comments, the more likes, the more views. Yeah. From what I've seen. Even if they hate comments, mm. sometimes it still works. Yeah. Um, that's just what I've found through my podcast. I get a lot of, uh, who started this podcast? Um, when's this podcast ending? Um, or someone like, oh, hey guys, I have a great idea. Let's start a podcast. Like in quotation marks, mm -hmm. just like trolls out there, you know, just random people, no followers, nothing posted on their TikTok or Instagram accounts, just trying to like, you know, basically like degrade you. Well, that, yeah. Do you get a lot of that as well in the comment sections or? A lot. Like initially I used to, um, yeah, complain to Tim frequently that I'm just getting so much hate. People would get in there and just like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You're talking nonsense. You're interrupting people. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're being disrespectful to people. And their time or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was just a barrage for the first Some probably bullshit. two months of doing it. It would just be majority hate comments. And at times I was like, maybe they're right. Like I'd, I'd read them and I'd go, oh man. And, and honestly, Tim would, be, Tim would be like, man, you've got to stop reading that shit. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It's just garbage. Like there's just people saying nonsense and these are just idiots. But I would read it and I'd be like, man, maybe I need to do this better. Maybe I shouldn't be judging this person. Like, and, I'm, and I never, in my complete, honest, transparent, um, uh, in transparency I've never gone to a person and tried to make them feel like shit I've yeah. never that's never been in my head but yet sometimes it looks like that because I'm having a joke or a laugh with a person someone that you know I'm probably the only person talking to homeless people on the street no one else is talking to yeah. them because I'm like man maybe this guy will say something interesting maybe there's something interesting about him and they say and something more like, than likely there is with a homeless person yeah and I'm like yeah. well how do you get to this position like what happened like are you are you okay with it like yeah. do you do you have advice for people that get it? Like there's many things because I'm talking to them and then some of them, you know, were under the influence would say something stupid like, Oh, you're taking the piss out of homeless people and using that as content. I'm like, that's not what he, and so I would yeah. start correcting. So I stopped talking to homeless people. Then I was like, man, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm not talking to people that no one's talking to. Yeah. So I'm ignoring these people that probably want someone to talk to anyway. So there was always a barrage for about two, three months. And then, um, then the tide turned. Now it's like, I've seen because it's probably people start to realize that I'm doing it for the whatever. Like it doesn't mean there's no right reason I'm doing it yeah. for the fact that I like doing it. It's a self-motivated thing. But when you get enough people that like it, people like what I'm doing, people like the the conversations or interesting or entertaining, 
they've started getting on board. If someone says some negative shit, then people jump on and start drilling that person. So it's good to see that oh, like, uh, it, if you give it enough time. Yeah, it shifts. It, it shifts. But then there are times that I've like probably not done the right thing in that situation. What people don't realize is in the moment, people aren't recording you while you're having a conversation out with your mate. You're probably not doing the right thing. I'm doing it in the moment. They think it's curated. It's not curated. I'm just approaching an absolute random person I've never met in my life and I'm giving you the entirety or a very minimally edited version of that conversation. Mm -hmm. You go back and look at when you have a conversation, do you not sometimes go, I could have done that better? 99% of the time, I think I could have done that better. But what they think is, well, I talked to this guy and he said to me, he's like, oh man, I'm ready to pass away. And at the time I was like, I froze. I was like, whoa. I was like, dude, no one should ever have to do yeah. that. And, I, and, I, and he walked away. So I walked away. And the comments are like, why didn't you go and help him? Why didn't you go find out where he was? And I was like, I there's always going to be like, you know, two sides of every coin. Someone's going to pick you apart for something. But, but, but the reason I'm sharing that is so people know because you're going to get these like people that will judge you based on what you didn't even do in yeah. that situation. So you have to kind of detach. It took me a while to detach because I was always. Like, oh, maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe I should stop doing this. But th- even even that from a recent one, I'm like, I would love to meet that person and talk to him. But he walked away. I, in a conversation, when someone says that to you, you feel like f- you freeze. Yeah, you freeze. Like, like, oh, yeah. I, that's, that's terrible. I wasn't expecting that. And, and I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not qualified to talk to a person when they're in that situation. Like, I would love to be like, yo, man, can I help you or whatever? But anyway, the, the point of it all is, um, if you're going to do shit online, you you got to... Got to be ready for that. Got to be ready for it. And you've got to also be willing to go for long enough in the, in the confidence in what you're doing. You're doing it for the right purposes. You're not doing it for a malicious nature. You don't have an ulterior motive where you're actually using people. That's why I don't want to talk to drunk people because you're using yeah. them in a state where they're not themselves and you're using it for your own benefit and make them look like idiots. So I'm not okay with that. Um, you know, people in, in compromising circumstances, like a lot of these pranks sometimes, they're cool, they're funny, and I love them and I follow them all, but there's times when I'm like, the, the, there's, when I know my intentions are in the right place, then, I'm, then I don't give a shit because I'm doing yeah. it with the right intentions. Very yeah. long answer. <laughs> That's all right. Um, no, same with the, uh, the Eshe, because I think you, you were talking to him, you, you give, gave him a fair bit of fame like you know millions of views and the first like youtube comment is like um you're taking the piss out of this guy Mm. who seems to be really nice yeah it's like you know it just doesn't make any sense yeah well he loves it man he loves it nick he um, loved it if for people that don't know i I met nick um on on the streets and he was wearing like a gucci hat or whatever and then we got into a conversation his his dream is to be the the realist esche in Perth, yeah. which he's probably become the realest Eshe in Australia from that one video, mm-hmm. from our YouTube videos, from Facebook, from him getting on the front page of the newspaper um, with wow. a snippet of our video on the West Australian. And he's just everywhere. So he gets recognized all the time. And it was from a, again, serendipitous fleeting conversation that we had and it turned into him being a superstar as an Eshe. So, um, yeah, I mean, he loves it. He doesn't give a shit. Like yeah, he's he's happy. He's That's the thing, as long as the two parties are happy, it doesn't matter what the third party thinks. Yeah, and we've done in reality, we've done two rounds where he's up for doing more. So it's not like he thinks I've taken advantage of him or he's taken advantage of me. It's none of that. It's none of that. He's more than happy to keep going. Yeah. So he loves it. Absolutely. You talk about the um eight percent being what you say ninety two percent. 
being the uh, the body language. That but might be completely incorrect. I don't know what the numbers are. We'll, we'll run with it. Yeah. We'll run with it anyway. Because um, you started at the very, you know, pinnacle of, of hardest form of communication or for what people think would be is cold calling. Because mm-hmm. um, that's just, you know, just talking. No, they can't see you. They've never heard your voice before. It's basically an unfamiliar voice. Um, and you got into it because of business reasons. Mm-hmm. Do you still cold call to till today? Yes, uh, not as much as I used to from 2012 to pretty much pre-pandemic uh, time when you know business uh, for us shifted. So I had to shift my focus quite a bit, which is where it fell off anyway. So for those eight years, I had a one metric that I followed diligently, which was 20 cold calls every day, every workday, Monday to Friday, which um, I, I did this talk a while ago and the number came out to like 40,000 yeah. calls um, over that period of time. And I did it because I had, I don't know, like there was no other, look, 2012 was a different time. There was not as much presence of social media and yada, yada. So there was emails, there was, you know, other ways of doing it, but still the phone was probably the most powerful way to pick up the phone and call someone and get in front of them. There was not really that many other ways of doing it. So I was like, I have to learn this thing. If I get better at it, I'll be better at any business. And it's so true. If, if there's one thing someone can do for self-development, aside from stand-up comedy, is cold calling. Like, pick up the phone and just call someone. Yeah. You can pretend to be someone else if that scares you. And that allows you to work on your fillers, be efficient, be brief, be to the point, have mm-hmm. your tonality down pat. Also, overcome resistance. It's very hard. It's not easy. Because the person's almost picking up the phone... And we obviously know with like, you know, scam calls and what whatnot, they're almost in a defensive state and you have to flip it so that they're like, they're wanting to talk to you for longer. Correct. And then also buy shit from you. Correct. Yeah. Which yeah. is an unbelievable skill. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I recommend it to anyone, especially if you're starting a business, cold calling should be the first thing you do. Even if you think it's the most archaic method of doing it, yeah. it just builds your skill set. It, le- it allows you to summarize the benefits or the, the fit of your business better than any other way of pitching it. And you may not have ever like summarized it like that to yourself before starting cold calling. Yeah. You almost find out what you actually want to do when you start cold calling. And when you're having to make the call, you're in that situation where you have to deal with it. You don't yeah. have a choice. You can't, I mean, you can back out and hang up. That's fine. But when you're in there, you will have to improvise and figure out what you need to do in that moment. So 100%. I think um, I did it because I wanted to get better at it. In, again, something that scared me. Again, I knew was, I knew it was imperative towards business success. It was critical towards business success. Sorry, that was the wrong word. So I think I just spent numerous hours just constantly writing scripts and you know rebuttals and as you do, and then you get more comfortable yeah. and you just let it fly. So now it doesn't scare me at all. Like I could be anyone, any person. You could tell me the CEO of BHP. I'm okay to pick up the phone. And your brain works, I've realized your brain starts to figure out solutions very quickly when it's, when it's done so much repetition yeah. of that one thing. It's, so, like, it's like the gym for like thinking on your feet. Like, yeah. Like you could pick up a client, you go, you know what, it could be any business. You give, you know, like anything. I'm not saying I'm incredibly skilled. It's just the fact that I've done it so much is it could be a dentist, dental practice. And I could be calling a customer that, I, that, that dental practice would love to you know get on board as a client and immediately your brain will go okay this is how i should open this call this is what i should say when this person says this and then you start to just get so much better that you can navigate that very well just because you put in the 
the sheer grunt work into just getting good at yeah. it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I watched your Space Cube thing, and I think you said something about like how because cold calling is seen as so archaic, most people aren't even expecting it, and that's why it works so well for you. And then I saw a whole bunch of TikToks talking about cold calling that everyone that like shits on it are the people that are actually helping the people that do cold call. Because mm. um, even like when you said it, I was like cold calling. I was like, surely this isn't this guy's, you know, his his main marketing method, which is what it was for, you know, you said eight years or so. Yeah. Um, but then you explained it and you, and you talked in depth about how like you make reoccurring phone calls um you, you kind of like set the tone you make the person comfortable with you on the other side of the phone and it does make sense it's just that in everyone's mind it's been ruined by like telemarketers or like you know it's scam scam calls and that kind of thing which is a good thing like yes it is it has whenever someone does something really bad someone that does something okay then becomes a lot easier for you so for example if someone picks up the phone and immediately it's like one of our brothers and sisters from india like hello it's immediately terrible like that's not going to work and i'm not talking about the accident i'm just talking about how they do it there's some bullshit story about oh you know your car crashed i'm here for the insurance company you're like my car's never crashed dickhead like what are you talking about yeah i don't even have a car (laughs) yeah i I catch the bus Um, i cycle to work so it's 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 just stupid like and when you've got that that's what people are expecting Anything outside of that now is automatically you're going to get a better response. Mm-hmm. If you're just calling, and, and the thing is, you can take the word cold out of it. People still associate cold and calling. It's not cold if you can position it in a way that it's no longer cold. It's, and that's yeah. just strategizing. If I'm calling you saying, hey, I'm here to sell you Adidas shorts. I am work for Adidas and I'm going to sell it to you on the phone. They'll be like, fuck off. Like you're paying yeah. in the ass. Whereas if you're like, you know, you call and you just change it slightly, know something about the person. Hey, um, just, you know, I've got a shop down the road. I'm just trying to call some people. Hey, when do you normally go? Where do you normally go shopping? Could I invite? Whatever. Like, I'm just yeah. freeballing an idea. But if you position it in a way that you're no longer sounding like a cold caller, it's you can take that word away and it's just a call. It's like a call yeah. to a friend. How much research do you do on the people that you were calling before? Because if, if I had to call cold someone, I would definitely, like my strategy, I know you can tell me if this is any good. I would try try and say something that makes them resonate with you like maybe you can mention like a location or a brand or something that they that you know that they're already affiliated with so let's say like someone lived like near you you could say oh hi i work you know in the canningville precinct just off banister road this is what we do so so something like that let's let's do it as a mock exercise what's a what's something you'd like to sell oh i'd like you to try and sell me um dj equipment so, so you, so it's, I'm uh, like a like a reseller of DJ equipment, and you're a, yeah. what, a DJ. Yeah. Let's say that you you found my Facebook and you saw that I I go to clubs, but you don't know that I'm a DJ. Mm. Just say that you you think I like house music, and you you think that maybe I'd like to get into DJing, something like that. Yeah. So, so you answer the question yourself. That's that's it. That's all you really need to know. You, yeah. I, so you call. Hey, um, hey, Milan. I'm Jasky. I I you know work at DJs R Us. Whatever. Um, the only reason I'm calling you is I came across your Facebook and I see you're into house music and you know I'm assuming do you have any DJ gear yourself? No I don't. You don't? Hey why don't you come by our store man I'd, I'd set up some DJ gear you might be I feel like you might be interested in it we've got some new gear do you want to come check it out it's it's on the house you've already answered it like that's no longer a cold call because yeah. you you know what I mean you've already extracted Flipped enough it. information Yeah. the cold call happens when it's 
you have no information. And that's not a good call because nowadays you can go on LinkedIn. You can find out what, you know, someone does, what they're, with anything. You, you find, find anything. anything. Like anything. You, all you need is a reason. Yeah. Hey, I know you are into house music and I see you, you're always um, DJing a butterfly. Do you own some gear? We can do your, dis- you've already done that enough bit of five minutes. It takes two minutes of research. Yeah. But if you're in a, if and that two sentences, you broke like five layers of ice. Yeah, you don't, you yeah. don't have to worry about anything. They, def- they won't hang up on you. No yeah. way. Because, you know, you, you know enough information about them. They, they still they're might get shitty and go, oh, look, I'm not interested. Well, yeah. this is a salesperson. And it depends. Again, and maybe you caught them at the wrong time. Yeah. Like, you never know. You, yeah. So would you try that again? If someone hung up on you, you try on the call again in a later week? If it's worth it. If it's worth it. If it's worth it. Like, for example, certain clients that I know have been worth it, I've called them over years, probably three, four years before they become a client. And, and there's a couple of examples, like a secondary school that comes to mind. Probably took me three years to crack that client. And that client's been giving us a quarter of a million dollars worth of work yeah. because they, I knew they were worth it. At some point, they would, they would crack. They would need you, you need to know if your product is suitable for that. That's why niching, like I said at the start, is so important in a business to know. And then, then cold, cold calls become easier. If you know your niche, it's going to be the principal of a school that's going to make this decision and I, what I'm selling to them, they're already buying and I can do it better yeah. or I've got a better solution. You can persist for fucking 10 years. And then from there, you just had a hit list, right? Just every principal, every high school, yeah, something like that. And then you try and make it less cold. Every time I try to make it less cold, I, I've already done a job for Canningvale High School. Now I'll yeah. call, um, I don't know, what's the nearby side? Piara Waters High School. And then I'll go, well, hey, I just did a job for Canningvale. Can I just send you some information on what I did? It might be useful for you. Yeah. Bang. That's not even a cold call. You're just calling them to say And there's them. a good chance that the PR Waters uh, principal knows the Cannonball principal. And, you know, if you did a good job, he's going to re- refer you almost. He won't, he won't directly refer you, but indirectly by talking about you, he's done you. He's yeah. done you well. Sometimes they will. Sometimes you call them, which I've done. I was going, hey, we've done a good job. Are you happy with it? Yes, I am. Um, do you know anyone else who's also a principal that may find benefit from it? I'll, I'll, I'll script an email and I'll send it to you. If you can please forward it on and CC me in, that would be wonderful. And more often than not, they go, yeah, dude, I've, I know, you know, five guys that we catch up with. We have a principles, blah, blah. I'll send them all an email. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, so I try and wrap up in five. Eh? Is that cool? yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I've basically cold DM'd you, I suppose, on Instagram. Um, so that's kind of like what I have to get used to. I have a list. I go through it, um, do a bit of research on them, say something like, hey, I really like your content. I've uh, been following you for a while. Would love to have you on the podcast, some of that. Um, and that seems to work for me. The only reason it wouldn't work is if that person gets so many messages that they can't see my message. Mm. But usually if they see it, they will respond. So and your, your um, hit ratio is quite good with DMs? I'd say it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't do it as often because I'm, I'm kind of lazy like that. Like if I need a guest, then I'll reach out. But realistically, I should be reaching out like every day. Mm. Yeah. And who is like an ideal guest? Like who do you normally reach out to? Ooh, ideal guest is someone obviously Perth-based. I haven't done an online interview, um, but definitely would do it if that was something that came to be. Just someone interesting for the um, for the space. The more different, the better, I suppose, because I like learning at the same time that I'm like making content, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I like one-on-one podcasts a lot. I think... One-on-one, you know, you can get inside each other's brains a lot easier. Um, it just flows a lot better. Mm-hmm. If you have the third person, they're kind of breaking the circuit. And it, it's not as, oh, 
don't know what the word would be, but it's 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 less concise, um, and the podcast just doesn't flow as well. Yeah. Saying that though, I've had three people on that couch before, so four guests, and that's worked well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. The perfect guest is there's no perfect guest. There's a perfect guest for each week, and mm. that's kind of like what I endeavor to do. Awesome. Um. Probably run you through the last couple of questions. Sure, let's do it. Let's talk about the portfolio, whether you think everyone needs a portfolio. And if you were 19 or 18 right now, would you go to uni? Yeah, how old are you? I'm 19. You're 19. Yeah. Um, uh, good question. A lot of people ask the question and I I don't I don't know. Like I, I think for myself, I'm like, oh, had I... If, if I went to uni or didn't go to uni, would it make a difference? Um, and, you know, in hindsight, you go, well, it was a waste of time because I spent five and a half years doing a double degree and then not using any of it at all. But I think uni teaches you certain things that are really, really important because it teaches you to have better writing skills, teaches you deadlines, teaches you the, the key skills that there are certain things you must do. Even if you don't fucking like them, you have to do them, right? Yeah. So, and if you're on your own, like who makes the decisions for you? Are you capable enough to have the discipline to make your own decisions? 99% of people I meet, young kids, they're not. They're, I don't know why. They just are not, don't have the discipline. So you need to drill some of that discipline into you. So, and secondarily, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to do law? Are you trying to do uh, medicine? Yeah, because those two, you need to go to uni, right? You don't have it's a choice. Just, yeah, you, no have, choice. you have to go. Even engineering to some extent, if you want to sign off on engineering drawings or anything technical, you have to have a bachelor's or, or you know some sort of credentials. You can't just sign off on random shit. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Like it comes down to you as a person and what you want to do. But regardless, regardless, the social aspect is probably worth it. Yeah, because you that's don't what get Elon says as well. You don't get that time. Aspect. That was one of the best times of my life. I fucking attended no lectures. I just played cricket. I fucked around. I hung out with mates. We used to drive out and, you know, go go get a drink or play. I became a pool shark because it's all I play. It was, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Even if those five years, the hex that it cost me, which is a pain in the ass, for the social aspect was worth it. Because if I was left to my own devices, you would get so obsessed with trying to make something work because you don't have that... That, that backup know, plan. That backup or the forced yeah. thing like, yeah, I'm going to get a degree anyway so I can do whatever the hell I want because a degree is there. There's like a back, there's a, there's a fail safe, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in this case, if you left out on your own, you'd be so stressed. So I think the social aspect, the fact that there's some security there is, is, is worth it. But I don't know. At 19, you got so much time. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You got plenty of time. You can do, you can do uni and anything on the side. You're already doing yeah. the podcast so you can keep doing this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like uni is not getting in the way of you doing something else. I think people always think like I can still do business and do creative stuff on the side. It's just about being disciplined and carving out your time. And if you can do that, then why, why does uni need to be sacrificed? Do yeah. that and also do whatever. Mm-hmm. If it gets to the point that you're now going to, you know, I met, I met this kid who's got a very successful business and he's going to uni and he had a double degree. I was like, this is a tough decision because now uni is getting in the way of potentially something that could be even bigger. I'm not saying you get rid of uni, but anyway, he dropped one of his um, his uh, his degrees and then now he's managing it better. Right. But uh, yeah, you can do both. Okay. And then in terms of portfolio management, 
or creation uh, for younger people. Mm. What you are your wealth thoughts? portfolio, business yeah, portfolio? Yeah, wealth portfolio. Yeah. Because um, I know you like, obviously part own Butterfly, Barber Bus, which is a really good idea, by the way, Barber yeah. Bus. Um, is that taken off? Uh, we've, yeah, we've kind of um, put the brakes on it. We've, we've leased the first van. We um, Yeah, there's just too many other yeah business things. So at the moment, it's doing well, but we haven't like massively scaled it. Right. Just pulled it back a little bit. And in terms of Butterfly, are you pretty hands-on or are you just like a kind of like a secret investor? Or? So K1 Investments, which is our portfolio, which is what you're referring to, are, are like a, essentially a small private equity where we use mm-hmm. that to invest in various businesses, is between myself and my business partner, Chris, and we divide responsibilities. Right. So certain businesses I overlook the management or running of. Um, we don't really get into the day-to-day anymore, but we just put management in place and try and whatever, make sure it runs well. So Butterfly, I don't really get that involved in unless it's something that requires more of a executive decision. Whereas the day-to-day operations managed by Chris, which is managed by another team. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you've got to diversify if you can. Um, but there's always going to be the one, there's always going to be something you're very good at. Just know yeah. what you're good at because that's the thing that can always be leveraged to make financially and maybe something... Uh, let me retract. If you're good at something, you'll enjoy doing it. If you're, or or you might enjoy doing something, you can become good at it. It's always it's always good to do like a, uh, uh, like a snap, uh, whatever the word is, to try and like figure out from various sources what your main strengths are or what you're better at than most people. And when you know what that thing is, you can double down on a business venture based on that skill. Like mine is purely sales, mm-hmm. right? So it's. It's the ability to sell. I'm not very good at technical. I'm not very good at logistical organizing. I'm pretty bad at all of that. Finance, I'm pretty bad at it. But I can overcome that with better sales. So then I know if I can use my sales in a particular industry I'm interested in. But sales is kind of like an overarching thing. You can use it anyway. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is if you know what you're really good at, that's where your your primary business should be. Right. Then once you've got enough income, yes, diversify. Because if the pandemic hits, you're fucked. Well, that's the thing. I thought with the pandemic, you'd almost be better off with the K2 visuals, right? Because everyone needed to go on Zoom. Workplaces needed that, like facilities. Maybe even you went to houses and set up some audio visual for some other people. Yeah. Is that true? or? No, we never got into residential. It just okay. wasn't something we ever wanted to do. It wasn't of our interest. Um, but but uh, no, yeah, it did very well. But it wasn't... The, the, the pandemic is not anything that's that you can plan for. You yeah. came out of nowhere. You d- you were lucky if your business benefited from it, which ours did. Yeah. And whereas Butterfly didn't. So uh, Yeah, same as Barber Bust. I would have been, you know, stopped as well. No, Barber Bust ran. It was fine. Because, oh, they ran. Because there was no, there was no, as long as you were masked, you were allowed yeah, to go to the barber shop. True. And because of mobile service, you can be... It's almost know, better then. It was better. He was yeah. doing fine. It was doing very well at the yeah, time. Yeah, so you had both sides of it. Um, yeah, whereas our, that's why we exited our Malaysian investment mm-hmm. in the business because that was completely shut down, right. which was a which was a speakeasy bar. So we exited from that because it just wasn't going anywhere. And we obviously, you know, made money from the exit and it was great. But at the time, it just wasn't going to go anywhere. And that's where you talk about diversification being being so important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I think the main key points that I've got out of this are stay consistent, uh, do what challenges you and scares you. And um, like you said, diversify. But also, I think with your time management, which seems to be pretty, pretty insane. You know, you got your portfolio, you got uh, K two, 
you got stand-up comedy, you got street interviews, um, and you got time on a on a Tuesday to come come to my house as well. And I got two kids. And you got two kids, a young kids yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, young. Kids yeah, and, yeah, two years and four months. Yeah, wow, it's just yeah. yeah, crazy. I think you can do whatever you really want to do. You just have to want it enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if you enjoy it, and I enjoy all of these things, so I rather do this than watching Netflix. It doesn't bother me. Like I don't yeah. need the that other stuff. So I don't know. It's it's each to their own, man. I just enjoy it. Perfect. But it's been a pleasure, man. You've asked good questions. Yeah. I've really, you know, enjoyed sitting down with you. Um, I'm sweating like a ton of bricks, but um, yeah, it's it's so much hotter in here than I thought, here, man, especially with that light. But um, yeah, no, it's been fun, man. Thanks for having yeah. me, and I hope um, you've got something good out of it, man. No, absolutely, I hope you took something out of it as well. Yeah, you know, it was, it was great. Yeah, it yeah. Was great. thank it was you. Fun. Cheers, bro. Thank you so much. No worries.